Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances. So please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hey everyone, and welcome to the first edition of Cash Talk Property. And I'm here today joined by Gianni Musumeci, um, property specialist. And uh, we're going to use this series to really deep dive into property. Property is a big thing when it comes to obviously wealth creation. So I'm really looking forward to getting involved and, and really um, opening up the hatchet on, on, on this one. So Gianni, thanks for joining us and looking forward to this series. Yeah, pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me. No, that's it. That's it. Now, for everyone joining us on Facebook, please feel free to leave uh, questions in the comments. We'd be lovely to answer those. Uh, for those obviously watching the recordings later, uh, feel free to reach out. But Gianni, today we're starting off with getting it right the first time. Um, being in the financial services game for you know clocking up to 20 years, I've seen a lot of good stories, but a lot of bad stories as well too. And, and one thing I have realized is that getting it right the first time is so important, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, getting it right the first time can really uh, either hinder or help you uh, go on to build your portfolio and then purchase subsequent investment property, as well as if you, if you don't really get it right the first time and, and conduct all the necessary steps in terms of purchasing an investment property, um, it can really, you know, determine whether you succeed or, or fail ultimately. Yeah, that's it. And obviously people can make mistakes and we get that. But what we're trying to do of this series is to try and stop you from making those mistakes. If we can look around corners you can't see and stop you from making silly decisions with your money, you can be well on your way to getting to the goals that you want to getting want to that you want to achieve. Now, when we talk about getting it right, um, you know, we've all heard of those great success stories. And most of the ones that we think getting it right when it comes to property is really the first and fundamental thing is about understanding that it is a growth asset and is usually there to be held for a long period of time. Okay. So I think also having that understanding, Gianni, is very important. So people sometimes go into property wanting to make results in three months, six months or nine months. They've really got to shift their mindset, don't they? Yeah, I, I think there's some people that sort of see people make money in property and they see uh, people sort of, you know, make uh, large sums of money when the property market is hot. More recently, we, we're coming off a, a bit of a boom. And so mm -hmm. people sort of think, oh, they see a lot of headlines as well. Property has gone up X amount in the space of 12 months. So they sort of think, oh, yeah, I can short term asset. Um, mm -hmm. I can use this as a short term asset and sort of ride the boom, if anything. Mm -hmm. But I, I think um, if anything, they they only see what the headlines tell them and they don't know the background behind you know what mm -hmm. the boom actually entails or what purchasing an investment property entails right rather yeah that's it so understanding that the assets are a long-term asset is the first point of call to get that mindset done so if you're thinking about you know doing it in the short term you're probably best to look at other investment assets for your for your wealth creation for that specific goal but don't get me wrong, property is also really good when it comes to manufacturing wealth. It's one of the only assets that you can actually manufacture wealth. And what, what I mean by that is that you can renovate a house, 
you can subdivide it, you can develop it, okay? You can't go to this Commonwealth Bank and tell them, listen, hey, listen, I want you to do this with your, with your strategy unless you're a significant shareholder. They're not usually going to listen to you. So you, it's an asset that you can play with to manufacture that growth. And it's one of the things that I've done personally, you know, when this house that I live in, for example, I bought the worst house in the best street, you know, and I, I, I renovated it. Probably should have knocked it down in hindsight, but we'll learn from that. But the other big thing about it was also allowing that to be like the time to do that, okay? It wasn't something that I was looking to make an instant result from. It was something that I was looking to try and use this in the right asset class, which was a long-term asset. And when we're talking about long-term assets, we're talking about a minimum hold of seven years, okay? Minimum, yeah? Ideally, longer than that, okay? So great asset. Yeah, look, seven years is, is probably a decent time frame. They say, general rule of thumb, a property cycle is roughly eight years. So in the last sort of, if you look historically over the last sort of 50 years of property, the, the property cycles have been roughly your eight to 10 year mark. So from boom to bust, it's it's eight to 10 years. So like seven years is, is probably a little bit on the short side, if anything. Yeah, 100%. I would say it's an absolute minimum. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. you'd yeah. ideally be wanting to hold it for a longer period of time. And this is where the success stories happen. Think about like the, the people in Australia that bought the houses in the 80s or bought them in the 90s or bought them. There was periods in the 90s that everyone wants to know where property growth was actually flat for a long period of time. And even the early 2000s, things were relatively flat. And obviously, Gianni, you're all over the data here, but it does it does represent this, this periods of time where there's no growth or minimal growth at all for short periods of time. So it's the longer game that's really here to play. Yeah, look, um, Queensland is sort of a perfect case in point. Like a lot of people stayed away from Brisbane for long periods mm. of time. No growth, um, no sort of prospects on there. But last sort of five or 10 years, especially um, in, in recent history, you know, everything is looking up for Brisbane, Queensland, even your regional hubs inside of Queensland as well. Everything's sort of looking up for them at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. And there's nothing but growth in their future sort of thing. So look, yeah. it's really all about understanding the data um, and having a look for those leading indicators as well. That sort of what sort of dictates that, you know, people are going to specific areas. Um, so that's like part of the part of the uh, blueprint for getting it right the first time is is really understanding the data and the leading indicators for you know where the likely growth spots are going to be. Um, a lot of people just sort of uh, buy based on uh, you know they can buy based on past performance or they can buy based on what they feel is their intuition or you know barbecue mm. chats and that sort of stuff. Um, mm. So that's one of the yeah biggest yeah like I, like I know we've talked about Gianni about like. Um... You know, people sometimes just buying based on emotion, which obviously I, I hate and I want to try and avoid. But it, it's that one where they they maybe had a good weekend somewhere, and then they want to buy that property. And and we're seeing that a lot, aren't we? Yeah, um, it's always when uh, when you go on holiday, you sort of see a for sale, so and you're like, oh, you know, I can buy this place, and maybe I can rent it out while I'm not here, and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then it, it it becomes based on emotion. You haven't sort of considered the cash flow or the data mm -hmm. um, on that particular property, or mm -hmm. if even if it's going to rent out at all while you're gone. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's purely emotional in that case. So so let's get this right. So from a step-by-step -step perspective, it's around understanding that the asset is a long-term asset. That's the biggest one I think that you need to understand straight away. Don't go in this with just like a short-term mentality because it is volatile and can work for in disaster, okay? Mm -hmm. Second thing is really around understanding the 
mechanics, yeah, that are involved in 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 the property. And what I mean, and what Gianni's talking about is when you're buying a huge asset, and it, let's admit it's a huge asset, it's probably going to be one of your biggest ones that you're going to do. You got to understand that there's emotions driving behind it. So we need to be making sure that our decisions are based on logic, not based on emotion. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about then making a logical step to get it right, okay. So when we we understand it's a long term asset, we're not going into this emotionally. What's next to get it right, Gianni? So the, the next to get it right is is for me, it needs to be a sort of goal based decision. So look, depending on mm -hmm. on what your goals are, is property the right investment for you? And that's and that's probably something that you deal more personally mm -hmm. with your clients as well. Mm -hmm. Like, does property fit in line with your objectives to meet mm -hmm. a specific goal? Then mm -hmm. the the next sort of step, if it is, then based on that goal, we sort of consider a specific strategy. Okay, so mm -hmm. the strategy might be long term capital growth. It, it might mm -hmm. be uh, passive income, something like that. And then there's sort of even underlying strategies behind that high level strategy so you know mm -hmm. we could you, you talked about adding value through renovating mm -hmm. so that's a, that's mm -hmm. a way of increasing the capital value of a home or you could mm -hmm. purchase in um in an area where the leading indicators sort of mm -hmm. dictate that the demand for property in that area is going to go up so there's mm -hmm. there's a lot of sort of forethought ahead of purchasing a home even before you look at specific areas or houses you, you need to sort mm -hmm. of consider your goals and the investment strategy mm -hmm. associated with that so, and and from my perspective, this is this is music to my ears because obviously Gianni and, and myself have similar values, and that's obviously why we're in constant contact with one another. Because it's it's interesting when you when you talk about income, okay, income goes on top of your taxable income, okay. So if you're looking to get an income strategy, you've got to be bearing in mind that you're going to be taxed on that extra income if it's if it's positively geared. So do I need that extra income, okay? Mm -hmm. Getting that wrong can be disastrous because you could just be donating extra to the ATO that you don't need to, okay? But you also could be in a scenario where you need that passive income as well to want that passive income and you're in that scenario where you could tax effectively do that and start to get a nice, good passive income stream to help you get that to that pathway of, to financial freedom. But on the flip side, from a capital perspective, you get the capital growth, what comes if you choose to sell later on is that capital yeah. gain. So you being able to use that is very important. And usually what I find as well too, you've also just got to be aware there's capital gains and there's capital losses, okay? And they're always under the microscope when you've got debt involved, okay? And what I mean by that is if you're if you bought a house for 600,000, okay? And you've used the $60,000 deposit to purchase that property, okay? You've put 60 in. Let's say the bank has put $540,000 in, okay? Now, that $540,000, if that was on an interest-only payment, that would still stay the same, let's just say, yeah? But let's say your house has gone down from $600,000 to $540,000 in value. Essentially, you've gone from having a $60,000 equity share with the bank on that property to all of a sudden having a zero percentage zero. share in that, in, in that property. So when debt's involved, it puts everything under the, micro, under the microscope. Now, don't get me mm -hmm. wrong. On the flip side, if that property goes from 60 to 660, yeah, the bank, you still owe 540,000, but all of a sudden it's your 60 plus the 60 that you made. So see, it can be very, very powerful by doing that. But understanding the goal and the strategy that sits behind it 
to get you to where you need to get to. Okay. Yeah. And a couple of things that you touched on there before, you, you talked a lot about passive income and people's goals and that sort of stuff and the tax considerations as well. One of the things that we really need to consider as well is, you know, we, we might work with uh, yourself as a financial planner mm -hmm. or even an accountant. We need to understand what the ownership structure is. So look, oh. if your goal is passive income, then, you know, we, we sort of need to consider, okay, or is it going to be in your name or is it going to be in a family trust or self-managed super fund or a company? Because we need to mm -hmm. understand how that income is going to be distributed. Okay. So that's, mm -hmm. that's probably something that um, people don't consider. They'll just think, yep, yeah, I, I want to generate passive income. And then they mm -hmm. generate passive income and it's great. But then they actually go up a tax bracket and they're paying more tax than they were previously because they didn't sort of consider their ownership structure and the tax implications associated with that. And secondly, yeah. you, you talked about CGT as well. So people think, yep, I'll buy an investment property. So they think about it on the way in, but then they don't think about it on the way out. They sort of think, oh, what is my exit strategy? Okay. And then what are the costs associated with that exit strategy? So the big one are like sales, marketing, solicitor mm -hmm. costs, all that sort of stuff, mortgage mm -hmm. discharge. But one people that one thing that people don't really consider is what are the CGT implications as well. So depending mm -hmm. on the ownership structure, we'll, we'll um, work out your CGT implications accordingly. So that's not only, okay, well, how am I going to buy this property? But what is my exit plan? Mm. And it's really, really important that you say that because I would actually say that ownership structures are the biggest one where I look at it and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just wish they set it up right from the start because it's very costly to fix it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you go and move from like your personal names and think that you're going to move it into a family trust and bang, CGT, stamp yeah, duty stamp again. Duty. Yep. Like there's just so much complications in trying to move it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let alone the new loan structures, blah, 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 yep. blah. So getting it right from the start is. 100% when it comes to ownership structures and it's the biggest yeah. one that we've got to work with and we've got to adjust the strategies to accommodate for that, mm -hmm. you know, inherited ownership structure that we have to work with. So we want to get that right from the start, working with the accountant, working with the financial advisor to get that done and obviously facilitate. So what's next? So we've nailed the ownership structures. We've got that done, Gianni. Yeah, mm -hmm. so we've owned it properly. We're doing everything you've said. What What's next to getting it right? The next is sort of getting it right is, is again, so we've considered, okay, this is the strategy I'm going to take. This is the sort of ownership structure. Then we sort of need to um, look at, or how do I decide what is my success criteria? How do I su decide whether I've success successfully purchased the right property or not? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people use uh, sort of, um, they use lagging indicators or, or mm -hmm. post measures based on, okay, what mm -hmm. the... Uh, what the growth in a particular area is or, the, or you know, how far things have come. The home value index has gone up X amount over the last sort of period. So they use what's called lagging measures or thing that, things that have happened in the past to sort of mm -hmm. justify their purchase. Oh, this place has gone up 10%. So I'm going to mm -hmm. buy in this area. But what they really need to do is they need to consider the leading indicators. So what sort of forecasts are showing mm -hmm. that property prices or even rental yields will go up in this particular area? Mm. And it's very important. And past performance isn't a true indicator of future performance. And I can tell you that's for every asset class. Okay. Yeah. Exactly, um, you yeah. look at the you, you look at the best stock, for example, of 2022, and it'd be very very surprised if that's the best stock in 2023. Do you know what I mean? Same mm -hmm. when it comes to property as well. I think the other one, mate, as well too, is that when we talk about that, always people lead to just infrastructure. So they look at like, oh yeah, Gianni's talking about oh, the new roads, the new hospitals, the new whatever. But the reality is there's also existing suburbs that do really, really well as well too that aren't necessarily getting that infrastructure, 
they've got facilities that are just hard to beat, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of areas that, that might not have like new infrastructure locations, but they're just highly desired areas and they'll continue to be highly desired areas. And the other thing about these uh, areas as well is the supply will remain the same. So these particular areas, you, you might have an idea of an area in mind where they don't build any high rise units there. It's all houses or townhouses. So they're all sort of low density housing. And it's in a relatively nice area. It's always neat and clean and that sort of stuff. And it's just a highly desired area. In that case, the supply levels are always going to stay the same. Okay, So the supply of property is only going to stay the same in that particular area. But the demand will actually increase with population growth, with you know, sort of natural migration and attrition and that sort of stuff. So because the demand levels actually escalate and the supply stays the same, that actually means that mm-hmm. that, that area is actually poised for growth. So it's not always the mm-hmm. case that you know a new piece of information infrastructure will drive growth in a particular area. Some existing areas do relatively well regardless. Mm. And you've really got to be looking, I think, as well too, Gianni. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's like the area, if, if it's as an investment, an area that you would live in or someone would live in, you've got to look at the demand side of it, don't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not just the supply, it's the demand. Like you might think that the infrastructure is going to come in Timbuktu, yeah, and it's going to take 15 years to get there, and that's all, yeah. all, all great. But then you've got to figure out, do people actually want to live there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, look, yeah. And the other thing as well is like election promises are promises. They're not sort of written in stone mm-hmm. as well. So, look, if a particular party is promising that they're going to build, you know, some new piece of infrastructure and it's going to create 20,000 jobs, and all of a sudden and a year into it, they, they still haven't built it or you know, they've had to renege on their promise, um, then what happens? You know, you've purchased in that area and then, you know, something's gone belly up. So there's there's got to be more to uh, just infrastructure to drive particular growth in, a, in an area. So tip for this one is essentially don't look at, don't look backwards, look forwards, yeah? And keep an yeah. eye, not just on supply, but keep an eye on demand as well too, okay? Demand, yeah. So, so, Gianni, we're, we're well on our way to getting the property right, yeah? And I can assure you, everyone, like, having a bad property investment can literally put you back years, okay? Especially when it's geared. So we're trying to emphasize the point of getting it right because if you can get it right, it can put you so far ahead as well too, okay? Mm-hmm. But getting it right, there's a few more things that we need to take into consideration, isn't there, Gianni? Yeah, so look, once we've sort of considered uh, the structure, the strategy, the area, and now we're looking for a specific property, one thing I sort of feel people don't do well is they just buy any old dwelling type in a particular area without doing any particular research on who lives in that area. So, for example, if I if I sort of said uh, there's an inner city location um, and I bought a house in that inner city location when the typical dwelling occupants of that location is maybe like a, a single person or a couple, I wouldn't go buying like a, a three-bedroom, four-bedroom house in that inner city location mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The, the, the main sort of tenant or occupant is one or two people. So typically you'd be buying like a studio or one-bedroom apartment mm-hmm. in that inner city location and, and vice versa. Like if I wanted somewhere in the suburbs where the typical dwelling occupant is a family with mm-hmm. at least one or two children, then again, I wouldn't buy a, a studio or one-bedroom apartment because I'm not appealing to the mass of that market. Mm-hmm. So Gianni, I hear this as well too, but I can only afford a two-bedroom unit in that suburb. What do you yeah, say to people like that? Yeah. 
There's a couple of things that they need to consider. Look, based on your affordability or your capacity, are you purchasing in the right area? Then, so look, that that should almost be the the forethought. Like, how much am I willing to put in the middle rather than what my capacity is, or how much am I willing to invest rather? Mm-hmm. So, if your investment capacity is five hundred thousand, and you're looking somewhere with a median house price of a million dollars, then you know, wipe that one out from your success criteria. R- remove it from your filter, and, and start again, looking in. Oh, sorry, no, go, Gianni, go. Yeah, and and start looking in areas where, uh, you know, there are median house prices at that point um, that have sort of investment uh, considerations or their investment grade property rather. So we're trying to fit the property to the demand. Really, that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to, you know, mix and match it because. I do see the problems where you might have like a five bedroom mansion, but there's only people that are singles and couples. You just, that the properties mismatched to the demand. Really, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, exactly. Because ultimately the, the goal is to have a tenant in place and drive demand. Okay. So mm-hmm. you, you either want to, uh, or you do want to have a tenant in place. So you're looking for places where your property is likely to be tenanted. So if the general, um, occupation type or, or dwelling type of that particular area is one or two people, then you're looking for some something to fit that. You, you're providing a solution to the demand for property there and vice mm. versa. You, you're you trying to meet the demand because that is ultimately what's going to drive both rental and uh, capital value of your home. Yep. Get it. Get it. So this has been a great session. I'm loving this because um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are watching this live that are getting a lot of uh, uh, a lot of value out of please keep comments happening keep the questions happening and uh we'll, we'll see if we can answer them uh for you if we can't answer them now we'll obviously answer them later but so we've got the mindset right we've got the strategy we've got the goals we've got the right ownership structures we understand the demand to fit the properties in the right area okay what's next gianni so let's say for example that uh, we found the right property in the area, you know, we've ticked all those boxes, we've, we've moved down the line sort of thing. And the, the next sort of step is to uh, conduct a cash flow assessment of that particular property. So to ensure that the property meets our sort of investment capacity, our borrowing capacity, one thing that we really need to consider is the cash flow assessment. So when we look at purchasing a property, we need to consider not only the incomings, but the outgoings. And, and for that, mm-hmm. we need to understand, you know, what are the council, water, strata rates, general insurance, mm-hmm. property management costs, rather mm-hmm. than just our loan repayments. So a lot of people just mm-hmm. thought, yep, the, the rent will cover the repayments, but they don't consider some of the other expenses associated with owning property. So um, mm-hmm. for, you know, and, strata and mate, property, maintenance, yeah, I think maintenance. is a... Maintenance is a big one. I think it's one that I see all the time. Like we usually, uh, like from our perspective anyway, when we're modeling these out for clients, we're putting buffer rates on interest rates. We're utilizing, you know, water rates, blah, 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 blah. But the one that people neglect to look at is ongoing maintenance. And we've got to be, we've got to be understanding of this is that getting that right property, which I'm sure Gianni is going to go through, that maintenance can kill you in your grad to your strategy if you get that wrong as well too. But just a reminder to take it all into consideration when you're running a cash flow analysis. And the big, big point that we've been harping on for a long time is also putting an extra few percent on top of your current buffer rate to ensure that you can actually keep up with this property and also make sure that you've got cash reserves. What happens if it's untenanted? If you don't have the avail- like if you, if money's not coming in for a short period of time, we want to be making sure that we've got money available as well to as a safety net 
to make sure that you're not forced to be in a bad position. But sorry, Gianni, let's keep going. No, you're right. Yeah. So you need to have appropriate cash flow. So for, for your strata titled uh, properties, there's a lot less to sort of maintain. However, a lot of the maintenance costs are built into the strata fees typically. Mm -hmm. And the, some of the benefits associated with having a strata title property is your body corporate will take care of that. Um, and they'll mm -hmm. even do projections in terms of the cash flow for your mm -hmm. uh, strata title property. So if you're ever looking at a, purchasing a strata title property, one of the big things you need to look at is the actual uh, previous annual general meetings and getting a strata report as well, because that's they'll actually highlight that. So for example, mm -hmm. if I purchased a, a strata titled unit or townhouse, and I sort of said, oh, okay, we actually need to facilitate major works on this property in the next sort of two yeah. or three years, and they've budgeted for that in the cash flow, but your strata payment's gonna go up, then you need to consider that. So look, if you need to draw a special levy or your strata payment's going to up, then you need to work that into your cash flow as well. Yep. Yep. Cash flow, cash flow is king. Yeah. Let's get exactly. the cash flow right. All right. So what's next up? So they've done their cash flow now. They're sweet. They've got it. We've got safety nets everywhere. And they're looking at it going, I'm ready now. Yeah. yeah. I'm ready. I've got the right mindset. I've got the game plan. I've got the ownership structures. What's next? Yep. So we've done the cash flow. We're ready to make an offer. We're looking to negotiate on, on the purchase price. This is the sort of the next step where I feel people might fail in terms of purchasing mm -hmm. an investment property, and that's conducting the due diligence. So when you mm -hmm. conduct the due diligence, you, you, you'll get your contract and, and mm -hmm. you'll negotiate. And uh, mm -hmm. then you start, you know, checking out the property to ensure that it's fit for purpose in terms of uh, a legal sense, but also a physical sense as well. So some of the things that I feel people need to do, I mentioned one of them before is get a strata report. Uh, second one is building and pest inspection. So typically I, I get those done regardless of if it's strata titled or not. So building mm -hmm. and pest, typically what my building inspector has done is he's done just a, a general lap around the area, around the strata titled mm -hmm. area, just to sort of see if there's any sort of glaring building defects, but also internally mm -hmm. as well, and then pest as well. So you don't want to purchase mm -hmm. a property and find that it's got like white ants or termites mm -hmm. in there, because that's mm -hmm. going to cost you down the track. One mm -hmm. thing that people don't um, consider either is a plumbing CCTV inspection. So oh. when you purchase a home, I was going to say, no one does that. <laughs> so one out of three, I think it is on average, homes have a large tree that lives nearby. It could potentially impinge on any underlying plumbing or sewer piping underneath, which could cost somebody tens of thousands of dollars in future, especially if those roots sort of come mm. in and, and crack the sewer mm. lines or, or plumbing lines. So that's something that people need to consider. If they have sort of a tree that's greater than five meters within mm -hmm. sort of 10 or 15 meters of their property, they need to sort of consider like, you know, what are the implications on any sewerage or plumbing that I have in on that particular property? Now, before they start, so and, and great tips, but I think there's also another bit. And the other bit as well, too, is I think I see a lot of people get it wrong when it comes to actually the negotiations. Now, there's the no negotiations, like as in even the way that they approach the agent, even the way that they're communicating with the agent. I've obviously done a lot of neuro-linguistic programming, um, NLP, for people that want to know. Um, I've done a lot in regards to like behaviors and the way that you approach negotiations as well, too. And there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in the negotiations that people get wrong. They either give things away too quickly. We've got to remember that the real estate agent is acting for the seller, not for the buyer. So how do they go in that approach as well too, Gianni? Yeah, that, that's probably a big one. There is a lot of 
you know, ways to save yourself money in terms of making an offer and negotiating. So there's there's a few sort of things you can negotiate on. Uh, the first one is is the purchase price. So the most obvious is the purchase price. So my sort of advice is if you're doing it alone, uh, have a lot of data to back you up. So you want to see sort of price comparables. Um, you want to have a look at similar home types in the area that have sold recently to justify your price rather than the sales agent's price. So you want to have a lot of sort of data to back you up. The, the second one is around um, the actual settlement period, how long the settlement period is. So look, if they want a short settlement period, it means that you need to get your act together quickly. Um, mm -hmm. If you have a longer settlement period, then let's say, for example, some settlement periods have been a few months, I, I've noticed. Mm -hmm. And you can actually get three months worth of growth in for a property if you if you actually uh, agree on the right purchase mm -hmm. price, which is mm -hmm. free money, really. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second one is like what you do during settlement period. So a big one that I actually ask for is um, when I'm purchasing an investment property, I want to be able to advertise that property, put it on the market and have it available for inspection so that I can get tenants in there from day one. I don't want to be stuffing around after settlement, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't want to say hand it over to a property manager and then wait two weeks to get a tenant in and clean it and all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. So I actually want somebody in there from day one or as soon as possible after day one. So I'll mm -hmm. actually use that settlement period to um, mm -hmm. hand over to a property manager, mm -hmm. conduct inspections, mm -hmm. have the place mm -hmm. sort of clean, uh, clean, ready to be presented where mm -hmm. possible. And then that way I can reduce the actual turnaround time associated with having a tenant in place. And Gianni, that's great tips um, because a lot of those things I think the general public just don't think about. But I think the other one as well too is around I'm going to an auction, okay? Mm -hmm. There's everyone around. Like how do I take this? Now, I know I personally, I prefer an auction over a private sale. Um, but is there any tips that you can give to maybe just both cohorts when they're going to an auction? Is there maybe one or two things that they need to be aware of and maybe one or two things from a private sale perspective if they're going on this alone. Yeah, look, um, auctions are a very pressure cooker environment. So they get everybody in, in a room and it actually becomes like somewhat emotional because I feel the sales agents, they, they make it very competitive. And you mm -hmm. see, you might see on a lot of real estate shows or, you know, mm -hmm. all those reality shows that, that mm -hmm. they actually come up to you and they entice you mm -hmm. and yeah, come on, more, more, more. Mm -hmm. Know your limit and know what the property is worth. That's that's mm -hmm. my sort of biggest tip if you plan on purchasing a property at an auction mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and then be ready to work away. You have to sort of make it as unemotional as possible. Be stone-faced if, if you can mm -hmm. um, because auctions are really pressure cooker environment and that's, that's mm -hmm. why they have them. They want to get all the competitors in there to compete for the price of this property. Mm. Yeah, that's it. I think having that stone-faced and having it based on the numbers, the last property that I bidded at, for example... All my numbers were sitting there. Exactly, it was like a virtual option. This one, um, and exactly where I had all my numbers, exactly where I wanted them to go. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the number ticked over my affordability and where I wanted to be and where I thought the value was sitting at, yeah, walk straight right. away. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, walk away. Yeah, yeah. So it really needs to be data driven. Um, yeah, you, you you can't sort of sit there a second longer once it becomes you know outside of your criteria, outside of your success criteria. Yeah, that's it. All right, so we've done the DD, okay? Or we've done the due diligence. Is there anything else for these uh, getting for getting the property right the first time? Yeah. So look, the only other thing I'll suggest to you is is have a good property manager in place. So you want to be able to hand over to your property manager, um, you know, with the sort of best uh, go forward, best sort of day one approach. 
So you can conduct your research on who the best property manager is. Don't just go with whatever property manager that the sales agent is associated with. So a lot of times when I purchase a property, you might purchase a property through an agency and they have a property management team. They might entice you by saying, oh, look, we'll give you a good discount. We'll wipe off the first week's letting fee. Don't let that sort of entice you to say, mm. okay, I'll, I'll just list with you because you're cheap mm. um, and you'll retain the, the management. You, you want to do your research and ensure that you find a property manager that's fit for your purpose and that knows how to handle investment property, has a good track record, and isn't sort of overwhelmed with you know thousands of properties between a, a small management team as well. You, you want to sort of have somebody that is going to look after your property, knows your needs as well, and knows the needs of the property. Great tips, great tips. And I think for everyone that's watching and everyone that's listening, I think the biggest thing is to show that there's a there's a process before you buy a property and you've got to make a logical steps and you've got to have a strategy and go through a bit of a checklist to be making sure that all of this is is, is done. Now, from mine and, mine and Gianni's perspective, for a lot of our clients, from my perspective, I'm working on very much around the goals and the strategy and making sure that all of the pre-work is done. But Gianni every day is working on making sure that that strategy is linked to the right property, okay? And working with people to make sure that that's executed on, okay? And I can assure you from a wealth creation perspective, getting it right can be an absolute game changer. One of the things that you'll know with property is that the ability to borrow against it is one of the mechanisms to accelerate your investment system, okay? And... That is why we're emphasizing today are really around getting it right. Because if you get it right, it can do you a world of good. But you need to appreciate that if you do it wrong, okay, it can send you backwards. And if you if you are in a position where you are getting a little bit anxious to make it and whatnot, well, th get the right team around you. Gianni will tell you the right thing. You know, making sure that you've got the right team around you to help mentor you, coach you, advise you to get you where you need to get to is crucial on success, okay? Roger Federer had a, a tennis coach his whole career, okay? I'm sure at the end not to teach him how to hit a tennis racket, but just for those little two percenters or those one percenters here and there to just get into that next level, get into that next level. So it's very important to have that group around you. And I know, Gianni, I can hear you smiling because the reality is that's true. It's those extra one percenters, isn't it, that make the world of difference. Yeah, look, I, I've got a couple of stats, if you will, on like the amount of investment. I feel like a lot of people make some of the simplest mistakes and it sort of hinders them from mm. building their property portfolio. Um, so the, the biggest sort of stat is the most recent top 250 rich list in Australia, mm -hmm. 70 out of the top 250 people are directly associated with property. Okay, so like it is a wealth creation vehicle. Secondly, the other st statistic around um, people making mistakes and the amount of investment property holders as well, the ATO put out data for the 1920 financial year and of mm -hmm. the 2.2 million uh, taxpayers that are property investors, only 70% of them have one investment property. 20% of them have 2%, uh, sorry, 20% of them have two investment properties. And then the number of people that have three, four, five, six or more properties is 10%. So only one in 10 people have successfully built out their property portfolio to, to a point where they can keep on buying, continually buying. Now that, that sort of one top 1% that holds six or more property, that's only 0.8% of property investors. So look, if you want to be in that 1%, then you, you need to sort of do things right the first time. Yeah, 100%. And it, and it will set you up for the world of good.
Now, Gianni, thank you very much for jumping on. Um, and hopefully everyone listening and watching has absolutely loved this. I've loved it because I know that getting it right will just help so many people um, in their wealth creation and their journeys to get to financial freedom. So thank you, everyone. Leave some comments below. Um, share and 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 uh, with your friends and family. But Gianni, until next time, thank you very much. And we'll see each other on the next Cash Talk property. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, mate. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at, at thejohncasher and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. Cheers.